welcome to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. For today's podcast, we're honoured to have Ufuk Tale, uh, manager, head coach, whatever we call him, we'll, we'll work that out as we go through, of Wellington Phoenix. Um, Ufuk's had a sterling 300-plus professional career that kicked off at Marconi, where he played alongside um, um, Stevie Corica. Uh, their careers seem to have crossed paths a bit and won a championship. Was signed by Graham Sunis at Galatasaray in Turkey, and we'll, we'll talk about those and hopefully some of the Fenerbahce um, um, derbies there. Um, was loaned for a range of different clubs in Turkey's before heading off to the French second division and then back to Turkey, back to Sydney FC to kick off the A-League, um, spent a season with Avispa Fukuoka uh, in Japan uh, and then came back to uh, um, play with North Queensland Fury for a couple of seasons and then I think may have even had a, a run around with Sydney United where his assistant coaching career kicked off. Well, he's had a, um, a wonderful coaching career that commenced with some uh, a number of years as assistants, um, uh, initially at Sydney United, then at the AIS, um, was assistant with the Joeys, the under-17s, was a head coach of the under-20s, where he took over from Paul Ocon, um, back to Sydney FC as an assistant um, to work with Stevie Corica, and has been head coach manager at Wellington Phoenix since 2019. Welcome, Wolfgang Talley. Thank you very much, Gary. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, mate. More to the point. Well, actually, let me introduce my T-shirt. A good friend of mine sent me a T-shirt the other day, um, and it's got Ted Lasso on it, who's probably, you know, after yourself and Ange Postacoglu, uh, one of the few managers in the world that everyone wants to be coached by. So uh, we, we thought we'd give Ted, Ted a, a bit of a kick off today. Um, um, more, more to the point, mate, how are you? We know you've, you've missed um, seven days with COVID. So if you wouldn't mind telling us whereabouts are you um, and, and how are you feeling? Yeah, feeling good. Uh, great that I got out of isolation. I uh, did the seven days uh, with the COVID. So it was it was like a frustrating time to to be locked indoors, especially when we had, uh, we've got a lot of games uh, backing up. But uh, Giancarlo, my assistant coach, did a fantastic job in getting those two results uh, that he got whilst I was away and continue the great work. So look, I'm, I'm back again. So I'm back amongst with the boys and, you know, we had a game on the weekend that wasn't a great result for us, but we've got a game tomorrow evening again that uh, we're looking forward to. Yeah, they come around a bit thick and fast at the moment, don't they? Yeah, look, uh, we're, we're not in a great space in the sense of, look, obviously we're, we're based in uh, Australia at the moment. We've got a few injuries. We've got four players out with COVID again. So, you know, some of the boys that were infected earlier in the season have been reinfected again. So, wow. you know, it's one of those ones where it's become a, a very, very challenging season. Yeah, which rolls on from a previous challenging season. So w without you're a coaches, there's no excuses here. We have to make do with, with what we do. But can you give us a bit of an insight? What What's it been like for you to coach and develop a football team and, and be away from home for such a long period of time? Yeah, look, to be honest, my, my first year was 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 great experience for me. And look, for me, I look at it in, in on a positive sense. When I initially took the job, we had seven players on the roster, uh, which gave me a, a blank canvas to actually uh, recruit players that I believed could fit in the way that we wanted to play. And, you know, obviously the start of the season, we, we started off a little bit slow. Uh, you know, new players uh, forming a new team, understanding a new game plan, game plan and game style. 
And, you know, what we saw the fruits of it towards the back end of the season. You know, we, we ended up finishing third that year. And, and obviously COVID hitting at the time that it hit uh, stopped a lot of things. And we had a bit of players based in Australia, a few players based in New Zealand, a few players based back home in the UK. And at least as well, I went back to Mexico and, you know, it was one of those ones that we didn't know when the season was going to start. We get to get the group back together and go again. And look, we made the final series. It was disappointing the way that we went out with that loss against Perth. Uh, and then obviously COVID hit again, and then we had to base ourselves last season uh, in Australia, which was a challenge in itself. Uh, and look, we've been fortunate because we've got we've got a young group. Um, we don't have too many players. With when I say families, where they have a wife and kids, uh, everyone has families. Yeah. But um, you know, the boys are young. Some some have girlfriends, and so it was a lot more manageable. I think if if we had a team that was a lot more senior players that were had families, I think it would have been much more of a struggle. Uh, in that yeah. sense, I'm trying to keep people happy with, you know, kids coming over and going back to school and, and trying to organise the schooling and stuff like that and living their normal lives would have been a lot more difficult. But it was good in the sense that we had a good group, a good young group that, you know, they just wanted to play football. And, and that's what we focus on, the things that we can uh, influence and the things that we can affect. And, you know, that's our performance and the way we prepare ourselves for the games and, and all the other stuff is, that's out of our control. Uh, yeah, don't worry about it too much, to be honest. <laughs> I love that you've got a um, you've got a glass half full attitude, and you've spoken about that before. So, the, the um, it, it, we talk a lot about uh, on the on the show, Uffie, about resilience. Uh, it's so important um, for playing and coaching because we all know that coaching is an interesting an interesting journey that's going to have some ups and downs in it. But um, I'm guessing that this group of young men. Um, have developed their resilience along the journey. Yeah, they have. Look, we every everything that's uh, been put in front of them. I think they 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 like the challenge. They every obstacle in front of them. They 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 want to try to get over and jump over the best they can. Uh, and I think uh, look, I'm a big believer. It comes from the top down as well. And and for us as as staff, we we just get on with the job uh, and the task at hand. And that's try to win games on the weekend and, and get ourselves in a good position by the end of the season. So. Uh, everything else, like I said, you know, there's, there, there'll be so many fires that you can put out with all the external stuff happening. But for me, if we, uh, if we worry about that too much, I think it influences what we need to do on the weekend. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot, mate. Um, how about, how about coaching? You were obviously in isolation for seven days. You, does the advent of zoom and cameras out on training, you, you watching training sessions when you're, uh, when you're locked away, how, how have you dealt with that? To be honest, with the amount of games, Gary, we don't we haven't trained a lot. It's more about just refreshing the players uh, and having a lot of injuries and a few players out with COVID. We, you know, with the numbers that we have, it's just about maintaining them and trying to keep them fresh and get them going for the next game. Uh, so training sessions wise, uh, the plan is pretty much easy uh, with us and, and the staff. My staff understand what they need to do and and the leading to the games and how we prepare for it. Uh, so. It's been more so whilst the you know the on the phone with uh, with Giancarlo and going through the game plan and and them sending me footage of the opposition that we're playing and and then we come yeah. up with the plan game plan of what we want to do and and then uh, Chief will go out there and, and then try to uh, you know try to go and do the job uh, the best he can and during the game it was live and I was always on contact with our uh, video analysis about uh, what what he what we what he can say at halftime and what we probably need to change or what we can fix or what we can do better and. You know, even with the substitutions, I would also let uh, you know Logan our analysis know and and pass that information down to uh, to Chiefy. Yeah, good on you, mate. So, off this is this is about your coaching journey, not about your playing journey. But 
but we like to touch on it because I think that gives a, a background and a framework. Uh, in doing the research for this, I could find a lot about your professional playing career. I couldn't find one skerrick about your junior career. So I'm, I'm keen to know and learn where you fell in love with the game of football. Uh, where I fell in love with the game of football, I, I started at the age of uh, six at uh, Cabramatta Police Boys, just down the road from where I grew up in Cabramatta. Uh, my first World Cup was the 1986 World Cup, so I was 10 years old when that was, uh, you know, watched that uh, live with my with my father. My father loved football uh, a lot. Uh, he spent a lot of time with me uh, in my junior years, all the way six to probably under 12s. I spent a lot of time with him when he decided to take over the the team that I played for. Uh, he used to uh, watch. I don't know if you remember Gary, the Captain Soccerroo uh, videotapes that he had. I so do. he. He'd come home from uh, he'd come home from work and and he'd come and watch a few of the the drills or or the skills that they they showed and then we'd go down a little bit earlier before my training session with the with the team and we'd work on uh, certain things that he watched on the video uh, yeah. and he was very very demanding in the sense that if he if I didn't get it right we'd be working on it for that whole hour which I didn't mind because I love being there at the same time uh, yeah. and I love the game so much so. You know, he, he played a big role in me getting where I've got to uh, with all the yeah. time and energy and effort that he spent in there. It's not that he had a background as a footballer. He played as an amateur uh, socially, but he just loved the game. And I think uh, that love grew with me, with me, with my dad watching the game. Yeah. Well, that, that time with your dad, the, that additional time outside of training where you're not only falling in love with the game, but falling in love with the ball. And I'm going to assume that you did fall in love with the ball because that anyone that watched you play um, would talk about the silky skills, the vision, your your passing ability, the technical side of, of what you could do. Um, how important was that for you, you know, to de- is, one, is your development of a player and two, in developing your touch and your vision and your passing? Oh, very, very important. I think uh, the hours that you spent uh, playing with the ball, touching the ball, you know, if my mates weren't around, the brick wall was my best friend. Uh, when I was growing up, we had a, a garage downstairs, a brick garage where there was cricket stumps uh, painted on it. And I used to drive the ball and try to hit the stumps and, and it'd come back to me, use my instep, you know, use the outside of your foot and, and continue to try things. And also the unstructured times where, on the weekends when we had time with our mates, you know, playing across from the schoolyard for hours and hours and, and if there was no adults there, it was very unstructured. And I remember we used to argue for half an hour whether it was a goal or it wasn't a goal because we had no goalposts, you know. It's yeah. just being in that environment of, of making decisions yourself and putting yourself in those situations. And the tough thing now is I think that the kids don't get enough of what we got as we were coming through and that's that's yeah. more so the unstructured stuff. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more, mate. Stay on your playing career for a little bit longer. How old were you when you went to Marconi? Uh, so I came back. I joined Marconi. I think it was the under-14s when I, because we went to we went overseas to Turkey for close to two years. So I spent uh, two years from uh, yeah, well, close to two years, eighty-eight and eighty-nine in Turkey, and then we came back and I. I trialled for Marconi. Uh, to be honest, I didn't actually make Marconi. I made Southern Districts. They had uh, Marconi and Southern Districts at that time yeah. together. So, And then I made my senior debut under Frank Arrock when I was 16. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to, to, to play with the, with the senior team. Yeah. So I think it was 1992 I made my debut with the senior team. Yeah. 
and uh, with, with some good players around that time, obviously your, your paths seem to cross with uh, with Bimby, Steve Corica, uh, fairly regularly. I'm, I'm assuming you two are mates. Yeah, we are good mates. Uh, I've known Bimby for a long time. Uh, you know, obviously playing at Marconi together. Uh, that that first year that I actually broke into the squad when is when we won the title when uh, Harps actually scored the penalty against yeah. Adelaide uh, at Parramatta Stadium. So, you know, we had a very good side then. You know, we had uh, Mark Schwarzer was there, Ian Gray uh, was there, uh, Kiwantayu Doris, we had Arano Pellucci was there. So, you know, George Olewski, uh Kulevsky, I could go through the whole team now of all yeah. the players. And they were very good players. And they were they were very senior players compared to me being a 16-year-old. Yeah. How much – it's interesting because uh, I was sort of a similar age when I when I made my first first team. How, how much, if you can think back, how much of your the coaching that you got, you reckon, was on the pitch from the senior players? Yeah, a lot. I think uh, there was a lot of coaching from the senior boys in the sense uh, it was also – it was also one of those ones where I think in football you earn your respect of what you do on the field. Uh, you know, being a good person, I think, is a normal thing off the field uh, at the end of the day. But where, where you earn your respect from your teammates is, is what you do and what you produce on the field. And, and you needed to step up uh, because, you know, we had uh, we had Dutchie there as well. We had JP there as well. And and trust me, they weren't shy of going through <laughs> if they really needed to, you know. So and if you if you dusted yourself up and, and got back up again and, 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 and did the same thing to them, you start to earn their respect. And and, you know, when you play the game uh, alongside them. Yeah. So. All that obviously went well. You continued to grow and develop, and and then you get signed for a not not just a club in Turkey. You get signed by one of the biggest clubs in Turkey, coached at the time by um, Graham Souness, the former Liverpool legend that had played out here in the uh, in the late seventies for a very short period of time. But talk, talk us through that that period of career because that that must have been absolutely incredible. Yeah, look, for me, it was a great experience. I spent close to ten years uh, playing in Turkey. Uh, you know, going to a a big club like Galatasaray uh, was was for me a massive eye opener as well. Uh, it's a di- different ball game over there, and you know it's uh, you you got to fight for your position there because there's a lot of players uh, you know breathing down your neck and want to take your spot. So you know Graham gave me an opportunity, gave me a contract uh, when I when I went over there, and that I played having a good season that year, and then obviously Graham uh, moved on, and, and then a yeah. new coach came in and. I was a little bit in and out, and at that time I was still, well, I think I was 19, 19, 20, coming to that, coming to yeah. that age, and, and I still felt it was very important for me to to get game time uh, rather than just stay at a big club club and be happy to you know play now and then. Yeah, and, and that's probably why mostly I went on loan uh, at that time because I, yeah. I felt for for my development to continue and for me to get better it was better that I go. And, and get game time somewhere else if I was going to get, get game time, you know, at, at a big club at Galatasaray. Yeah, no, I reckon that's uh, that, that was a wise move, mate, because at the end of the day, you can have the best coaches in the world, but but you get better as a player by being able to apply all that stuff you learn out on the pitch on the weekend, don't you? Well, well, the, the game the game is, is as much as we feel that we have control of the game as coaches, once that whistle goes, I, I think we lose a bit of that control because... Players will end up doing what they're going to do anyway, uh, you know, yep. according to how we set them up to the best of their ability. Uh, but the, the reality is you, you learn more because uh, the game is, is still, for me, uh, as much as it looks structured, it's, it's, it's unstructured. 
and yeah. there's some things that you may not be able to do at training that you will get in the game. Uh, and the reality is, is in the game, uh, you, you know, there's more accountability. Uh, at training, yeah. if, if you miss a goal or, you know, you make a mistake, you don't get hurt. But on the weekend, when if you do make mistakes, you do get punished for it. You certainly do. Um, one, one last thing, and then we'll, we'll move on to your coaching career. Um, we're recording this uh, early April. Um, they don't go to – there's normally a, a couple of weeks lag. This morning, um, Ange's Celtic beat Rangers at Rangers in the old firm derby uh, 2-1. That's his second win in a massive derby. I just wanted to touch on the Galatasaray Fenerbahce because you must have played <laughs> in and around a couple of those. That, that's got to be one of the craziest derbies on the planet, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's very uh, a fiery uh, atmosphere, uh, both home and away. Uh, when we used to go to the away games, we'd always take the old bus uh, to the to the uh, to the stadium. Would never take the new bus because the the generally the windows would come down on the old bus uh, with all the stones being thrown and and tempted at the bus. Uh, it's just one of those ones. It was unfortunate when you as as you make your way down to Fenerbahce Stadium, you have to actually go. Under a bridge where where trains go over, and you know the big rocks and uh, on those railway lines, and and the the fans would be waiting there for the bus, and the bus would speed right up so we can get through there as soon as possible before you know everything actually gets smashed down. So look, it's it's a different atmosphere. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of passion mm -hmm. with the fans, and and you know even at those big clubs, if you don't if you don't win the title, as long as you win the derby, the fans are quite yeah. happy with that. <laughs> Just like the old NSL with South Melbourne and Heidelberg, as I remember it. <laughs> so, Uffie, where where were you on your playing career when you first started to think about coaching? I I was I did my C license whilst I was playing. Uh, it was towards the back end of my career. Uh, I think I was at North Queensland just before I ended up stopping playing. Uh, I always wanted to go into coaching. Uh, yeah. I, I believe that the game the game has given a lot to me uh, in, in the playing sense. And I always wanted to stay in the game and, and try to give back as much as I can with, with my knowledge that I have from the game that, that I've played. Uh, so I was always thinking ahead that once I do uh, retire that I can go into to coaching. But I didn't want to jump at the first opportunity as well, Gary, because playing is different and coaching yeah. is, is totally different as well. Playing... Athletes are selfish, and all you have to do is really think about yourself. But uh, as a as a as a coach, you know it's not just uh, the group. You know you can have 25, 26, whatever, 30 players. You have your staff, you know uh, that you need to manage. You have the the board above you that you need to manage as well. The fans, the media. There's there's so much to it. So I actually went straight into uh, New South Wales Football Federation, and and Alex gave me a job as a skill acquisition coach, which for me yeah. was great. At the end of the day, because. I was working with kids and I had to break the game right down to them because they were at that level where, you know, even little things like locking your ankle or how to strike a ball. And, you know, for me, I wanted to start right from the bottom and, and work my way up. Yeah. So, so that, where, where was your first opportunity with the team? Was that at Sydney United? Uh, Sydney United. So my, my last year at Sydney, I, I really didn't want to play. Uh, JP was the coach at the time. I really yeah. didn't want to play once I retired at North Queensland. And Mark uh, was assisting him at that time, Roods. Uh, yeah. And Roods was asking me questions if I wanted to play. And I said to Roods, look, I'll only play if you play. And he said, I don't want to play. And I said, mate, the only <laughs> way I'll play is if you play. And so I made him play as well. 
and then he, he ended up playing that season as well. So we, we ended up having a decent season. We made the we made the, the grand final. We lost to Sydney Olympic that uh, yeah. that year at United. So we're now playing under JP. Uh, so for me, my intention was not to play, but uh, Rude's asking me and then make me making him play as well. So we ended up, like I said, having a decent season. Uh, and then yeah. after that, and then after that, I started I started to assist uh, JP uh, after that as well. But at the same time, I was still doing that uh, skillac. Uh, group in the evenings. Yeah. And and then the opportunity to go to the AIS with Tony Vidmar and uh, um, Peter Daru came around. Yeah, that was, that was for me. That was for me. I think the... I think it was the biggest uh, learning for me uh, at the at the Institute of Sport. Uh, firstly, working with Tony, uh, very knowledgeable, had a great career in the game, and also, you know, Peter Drew being our technical director and have a very good understanding of the game as well, and and all the service providers that uh, that work down at the uh, Institute of Sport as well. You know, with the SNC and the physios and and even the nutrition side of things. For me, it wasn't just for the players, but also for me as a developing coach, it was very important to have around me to to be able to learn and become better at what I do. So I spent close to six uh, years down there, which yeah. I think was a, was a big factor in, in uh, also not just understanding the game of football, but understanding the outside factors as well of, you know, the S&C side of things, the physiotherapy side of things, and when players are coming back and how to manage load and all those types yeah. of things. So a wonderful opportunity to serve an apprenticeship before you take Yeah, on definitely, that. definitely, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, it was a great area where look, we're, we're, we 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 work in a program where we're developing players for the future uh, that have yeah. that, that could potentially become footballers. Uh, at the end of the day, there's no guarantee at that age that anyone will be guaranteed anything. But we were working with players that had the potential to become footballers. So it was yeah. it was a good environment where you know we're we're probably more so judged on the developing side of things rather than results. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's, that's a, for, for me, it's more an environment where you can try things as a coach and see if it comes comes to fruition or it doesn't come to fruition. And, you know, yeah. it's it's one of those one of those areas where at the same time as we're teaching the players, we're, we're learning as well. Yeah. No, I love that a lot. I, I also had the opportunity to serve an apprenticeship there. I was actually in Canberra um, last week and caught up with Ronnie Smith for, uh, for dinner and we, we had a good chat about the time we spent there different in the timeline because when I was there assisting Ronnie, the age of the athletes was between 16 and 19. Yep. And then that, that whole scenario changed. You, you, can you explain why it changed and the age of the athletes that you're working with? I think I think uh, what's happened was as the A-League has formed, I think as the academy started to form, uh, I think the onus was starting to fall on the clubs to produce those players uh, after a certain age. I yeah. think uh, get him in at 14, 15, maybe, you know, 14 was probably the youngest, but 15, 16, and, and then once they were turning 17, the Joey's program or the qualifiers were over, then then the new group would come in. I think uh, after that, I believe they, sh- they, they, they should be in club space, to be honest. Yeah. I think the clubs should be, be starting to, you know, once they had the academies up, developing their own uh, yeah. players for their first team. So I think the age that we had him at was was a good age, and it worked within the World Cup cycle to be able to work with him for uh, continuously for two seasons, uh, or two years, yeah. I'll say. Uh, and that's why I think uh, the age group actually got uh, a little bit uh, well younger. That's that's yeah. the reality of. So because maybe back in the old NSL days, it was it was great for those those really elite players to be able to play uh, with each other. Uh, 
and that's the same thing that we try to do obviously with the younger age group yeah and and how, how many of those would have then gone into the Joes? Was it, did it make up the bulk of the Joe squad? You were assistant oh, look, there as well for a while. Yes, but the bulk the bulk came from the AIS. There's, there was always going to be players because, you know, at that age, at, at 15, 16, the, the kid that's 15 uh, could be, uh, you know, very small. And then in, in one year they shoot up and then all of a sudden, you know, they've, they've uh, you know, they've, they've, they catch up with everybody. And, and to be honest, whilst we were at... Uh, at uh, the AIS, we always we always try to pick the players that we thought that could actually become a footballer. Had the the technical attributes and the game awareness. We didn't go off size, saying that he needs to be uh, a certain size because it's easy in those age groups to go. You know what? We can go for the biggest and strongest, and Absolutely. we can qualify for every World Cup. But then after that World Cup cycle, we have no players coming through. You know, uh, yeah. within within the within the game for Australia. So we always we always try to pick players that we believe that had the potential to actually become footballers. Uh, some were a little bit uh, smaller, some were a little bit bigger, depending, you know, for, of obviously their maturity and how, how their growth spurts were. But the, yeah. the aim was always to try to find actual footballers and produce footballers. Yeah. No, I like that, mate. Um, on your playing journey, which coach or coaches... Sorry, on your playing and your coaching journey, which coach or coaches has had the most influence on you, and why? Yeah, look, I think I think everybody that I work with has 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 influenced certain parts. You always look at uh, coaches and go, well, that that sounds good. You know, that that would that probably work for me. And some coaches go, maybe I wouldn't have handled it that way. So there's, I think there's always learning moments from from every coach that you you work with. Uh, for me, the Probably the look in Turkey, longest serving. Probably won four championships. Uh, whilst he when he came into the job at Galatasaray, uh, was Fatih Terim. Uh, he he was the, probably one of the first guys that we actually started to do some very uh, tactical tactical work on the game plan and the game style. Uh, yeah. Previously, that wasn't the case. And you know, I remember we used to watch videos for. Uh, with the previous coaches, we used to watch videos for 90 minutes of the opposition. That's a long time to uh, sit in a meeting room and, <laughs> and watch, a, watch, a, watch a video of the opposition and do analysis that way. So, you know, time to change. We, we try to squeeze it down to 10 to 12 minutes uh, with the players, the information we, we throw out there because I think the attention span will start to go after 15 minutes uh, with players. So, yeah, look, uh, there's, there's for me... I think Fatih Terim is the standout one for me. Uh, but look, like I said, you can we uh, for me, you, you learn a lot of people as long as you uh, got your ears open and you you know you you got your eyes locked in and, and listening and, and trying to hear uh, everything that they say. Attitude is a wonderful thing. All right, in the um, I'm going to guess. Sorry, people when they talk about uh, Uffi the player talk about his touch and his technique, his silky skills. They talk about his vision and his passing range. Um, and when people talk about Uffi the coach, they talk about free-flowing, attacking style of play. Do you think your the way you want to play the game of football has evolved because of who you were as a player first? Yeah, look, for me, uh, as a midfielder, you know, you, I think you, you're a box-to-box player. You do a lot of running. Uh, you try to cover a lot of ground, but for me, the most enjoyable part of the game is actually playing with the ball. Uh, that's why that's why we want to play football because we wanted the ball at our feet, and 
and, and generally midfielders are the ones that get probably most touches within the game uh, and, you know, try to influence the game with and without the ball. So yeah. for me, I, I want my team to, to, to have the ball as much as we can. At the same time, it needs to be effective. You know, it's not the it's not the point of having possession. We had a lot of possession against Melbourne City in the last game, but we still lost six 0 So, you know, possession with, with effective where we want to go forward. And and for me, it's about putting the players in the right areas with the right attributes that can influence the game. Uh, you know, we want to play uh, our tens. We want them to be uh, you know be able to play in tight areas and be able to turn on a dime and face forward and shoot and and assist goals and you know create opportunities. Want my sixes to be able to cover a lot of ground, win a lot of balls for us, you know, cover the gaps that the tens are leaving in transition and and at the same time. But when we do have the ball, become ball players again. So for me, you know, the way formation in football for me is a starting point. Uh, yeah. As the ball moves, everybody moves. Uh, so for me, it's more about putting plays that have certain attributes in certain areas to which to try to influence the game. Yeah, no, I like that. Th- thanks for sharing that. Um, one of the other things that's come up on here over the over the journey, Ulf, is the difference between um, in coaching aspiration and capability. So if we've got this philosophy about the way we want to play, and you know. Me, I, I, love, I love watching uh, Manchester City play. I love the way Guardiola plays. I love the way Liverpool play. Um, I'm a Chelsea man, um, and I like the way Chelsea play some of the time. Not as much as sometimes I do the others. But wanting to play the game of football like that and having this group of players at this club right here, right now, how do you – how is it, how as a coach have you balanced the, the difference between what you want to do and what you've currently got on hand. Yeah, look, that's like I said, that's why it's very important for me uh, coming in with seven players and having a clean slate and bringing the players that you want to bring in. Look, for me, it's if 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 I inherited a team where you inherit a full squad uh, of players, uh, sometimes, unfortunately, you know, you might end up taking a job uh, mid-season. Uh, I don't think it's wise to go in and, and, and try to change completely everything and take take over that role. Uh, the players have probably been uh, used to play in a certain way under the previous coach. Uh, I, I believe that you might try to tweak it or change it or try to add more to it if you can to make it better. Uh, yeah. But again, for me, it comes down to the attributes of the individuals that allow you to play a certain way. Uh, you know, if, if we've got if we've got eight. Uh, Central defenders playing, we're not going to play uh, silky football, are we? We're probably going to try to launch it and play for seconds, and then and then play play off that. So, you know, I think it comes down to always for me is the the attributes of the players uh, and putting them in the right areas, and then then you can sort of like introduce your philosophy or or your principles or your playing style to to the way you want to play. And if you don't have that, you might you might still stick to your principles, but you might have to tweak a certain things to get the outcome that you need. Yeah, no, I like that again. Thank you. The uh, you're in your first in, as a head coach in in your third season, I think, as a head coach. Yeah, sorry, you also were head coach with the Australian under twenty team for a, a couple of seasons there as well. Um, um, that was a good introduction to a good question. Now it's gone straight <laughs> straight out there. <laughs> oh, I know. How how has your coaching changed or developed over the journey? I think uh, you learn a lot about yourself. 
you learn about uh, managing uh, individuals and, and managing a team as well. Uh, you learn about different characters within your group. Uh, I think you learn about also the characters of, of your staff and how they respond to certain things as well. Uh, yeah. But for for me, the, the coaching journey uh, has has told me some sometimes there's certain things, like I said, that you can't influence. Uh, but for me, I always believe, and, and when this is what we believe with our team, as long as we're the best prepared team possible, uh, there's always going to be three outcomes. You know, we're either going to win, uh, we're either going to draw, or we're going to lose for whatever reason. But as long as we know that we've given everything possible and prepared the boys the best we can and given the best information possible uh, for that game, uh, sometimes you can play out of your skin and still lose games. Uh, and I've always said to our boys that we focus on the performance and the result will take care of itself because I think if we, we focus just on the result, then we start to move away of things that we probably shouldn't be doing on the park because all we're thinking about is the results. So I believe if we focus on the performance, I believe eight times out of ten that we'll get the result that we want. Yeah. No, thanks, mate. Um, so, so are you... When you work with the players today, are you different in the way you deal with them as as individuals than you were as a coach that ran onto the ran onto the pitch at the AIS? That however many years ago that was. Yeah, totally different. Uh, I think you just got to manage the manage the individual. We have some uh, young players, and we have some senior players, uh, and senior players that have played 200, 300 games just want to be told what to do and it's easy just to tell them and say this is what my expectation is of that role and then they go out there and do it and sometimes yeah. the younger players need a few more questions to, to get to the point that they want to, to get to and just need to maybe break it down a little bit more for them and and, and get the information across and every every individual is different I always say look we have we have uh, you know five fingers on our on our hand Gary and, and they're all different sizes and shapes mate so you know, we've got to treat them all, all differently. Uh, and my job as a coach is to get best out of individuals and yeah. best out of my staff. And and I, my job is to find that way of, of who responds to what. And and, and and like I said, for me, is, is to get the best out of them to maximise so we can get the result that we want. Yeah. No, I like that again. It's not black and white. It's not black and white, unfortunately. Uh, I know, you know, people will <laughs> like to hear that it's, it's black and white, but it's it's not black and white. Uh, for me, it's understanding your players, uh, having the self-awareness of yourself and having have awareness of what they what they can take and how they respond to the information that you give them. Some like it short and yeah. like I said, and some like a, a long sentence of what they need to do. And if that's required to do it, then I need to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just something came into my head when I was working this this morning. I read uh, a quote from Rob uh, Morrison, your chairman, talking about. Um, essentially what you know why they gave you the job what what, what sort of stuck out uh, when they were going through that interview process and one of the things he mentioned was the significant investment that Wellington had made in their academy I'm not quite sure how long that's gone for today <laughs> you haven't spent an awful lot of time in, in Wellington so you might not know this but do you, where's where's the development of young New Zealand players compared to Australia do you, do you think they're on par is, is, is one in front of the other and I think I think I think it's uh, I think it's a little bit 
look, obviously there's there's five million people that live in New Zealand, so it's not a it's not a it's not a bigger pool as as we have in Australia. Yeah. Uh, the academy, yes, uh, Rob is right because we 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 the club has invested a lot into the academy. Uh, this season we have 13 academy uh, players within our squad uh, wow. currently here, and we've got another two uh, flying over uh, today actually because like with the injuries and the COVID uh, we have at the moment, so we've got another yeah. two uh, coming over. And and look, football is a business. At the end of the day, uh, no owner wants to uh, throw money and lose money. Absolutely. And and at the end of the day, uh, it's I'm working for a New Zealand football club. So obviously we are promoting uh, New Zealand uh, young boys with, through the academy within the first team. And yeah. you've seen like last last season we we the club sold uh, Libby Kakache and the season before they sold Sarpreet uh, Singh to to Bayern. You know, and yeah. there's a few players that have gone overseas. Uh, maybe we haven't sold them, but there's still the training compensation because they're uh, under 23 at the moment. So, look, yeah. football is a business. We want to be competitive as a club. Uh, you know, we still want to challenge for top six and be competitive and, and try to try to go as far as we can and try to win things. But at the same time, we understand where we are within the, the footballing landscape. Uh, yeah. We're not Real Madrid where we just sign all the best players in the world and just con continuously just try to win competitions where we're in a space where we know that we can develop our own. Uh, and I think that probably played a major role within me being employed at the club, coming through the youth ranks at the AIS with the Joeys and also with the twenties and, yeah. and working with new players. And, and we, we give opportunities to, to younger players and, and you should, we show, we've shown that this season that we have done that. And, and look, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's also my job to recognise when we can throw them in and when we need to pull them back out and, and give them a breather and recognise which game we can chuck them back in there. Look, at this yeah. stage, we, we haven't had that luxury with the injuries and COVID, but, uh, and they're getting more, more game time than probably what we thought they would have. But look, yeah. at the end of the day, and if these players come through and there's an opportunity that they go away with the 20s or 23s, and we've had a couple of our young boys, Ben Old, who's 18, and Ben Wayne, it's just been away with the All-Whites, uh, yeah. and they get a move overseas and there's money coming back into the club, I think that that's a great thing for, for Wellington Phoenix. Oh, absolutely. All power to you, mate. All power to you. Well, on your coaching journey, have you had a have you had a coaching mentor? Have you, have you had someone that you can talk to and bounce ideas off and and help help you work the way through things that are not working for you? Uh, when when Ange was in Australia, uh, I had I was fortunate enough to also go away a lot with the Socceroos uh, in in certain camps. I was uh, fortunate to go away to the Confeds Cup as a scout as well, uh, which yeah. was a great experience for me and. And Ange, for me, whilst he was a Socceroos coach and we had camps that he was close by, would always would always pop his head in, uh, which which was great for me. And I think it was great for the players to see that the national team coach would actually come in to, to have lunch, you know, with the with the young Socceroos staff. Uh, yeah. And the players would see him because obviously that's the end product of where we want to get them and, and where they would like to be. And 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 the players see that the Socceroos coach has a big interest in these these young players coming through. So. You know, I've had many of the discussions uh, with Ange. Even my first season, I had a few discussions with him over the phone about certain situations. So he's been uh, very helpful in that sense. Yeah. He, he's done a, um, a – in doing this podcast for the last year, it's amazing just how many people he's done that with, how many people he's reached out to, how many people he's taken to Japan to, to give opportunities for. Uh, I, I think, you know, he, he gets best recognised for what he does on the – 
on the pitch coaching his players, but um, his persistence in helping coaches has been uh, quite remarkable as well. Yeah, very, very, very remarkable. I think, uh, you know, he has a lot of interest. I think he he wants, I think he wants, uh, obviously, Australia to be successful. He wants Australian coaches to be successful. And I think he's doing a, a fantastic job flying the flag uh, now with Celtic uh, for Australian coaches, you know, and Muskie's uh, obviously taken that role over in Japan uh, yeah. that he vacated and, and Muskie's doing well. So, you know, uh, he's doing a fantastic job for us Australian coaches to, to have the opportunity to coach overseas as well. I uh, couldn't agree more. Well, can, can I just go, go back to the, being head coach of the under-20s? So I, I had a squiz beforehand about the 2018 Asia Cup where I think you were the, the coach. Got through the group stage undefeated and we lost to the eventual winners, Saudi Arabia, 3-1 in the I wasn't there for that one. That, that oh, you been, weren't? Been I took the group. After that, we I had the ninety, the ninety seven groups, George Blackwood uh, and those guys, uh, the ninety seven group in Bahrain. Uh, yeah. We didn't get out of the group. Uh, we drew the last game, uh, and we didn't get out of the group. That was my that was my first uh, qualifiers. Yeah, in Bahrain. Well, when you're in there in that national team environment and you're going to tournaments and you're playing games against other nations, do you get a feel for where Australia is in terms of player development and where we, what we haven't done or how far we've fallen behind? Because it seems to me, my observation is that we haven't necessarily invested in player or coach development uh, incredibly well in the last, um, in the last bit. Um, and then we, we've got a national coach and, you know, if we don't qualify, they get crucified because they're expected to work miracles. But I think you've got an incredible insight because you've been over there and you've seen what goes on. Where do you, where do you reckon we fit in the overall scheme of things of player development in Asia? Look, uh, for, for me, when I did, Gary, the, the 20s job is one of the most difficult jobs. I believe, uh, you know, other than the Socceroos, obviously, uh, is is the twenties is a difficult job. I think they're they're at that age where they're sort of like in between, where they're sort of like some are playing, some are not playing. Uh, yeah. You know, within within A League clubs, uh, and most of them weren't playing at that time uh, within A League clubs. And those boys that we believe uh, are those talented players. Uh, within the MPL space or the MYL space, I don't believe we're getting challenged enough or getting enough game time uh, with the seasons not being long enough. Uh, yeah. Where for me, I believe they should be playing 40 to 50 games in in a, in a year, uh, which will help their development. Uh, so for me, like I said, the 20s job is the one, the hardest one, and 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 we'd always try to pick the side where we we think that these are the best players. And sometimes those best players won't get enough game time leading yeah. into those tournaments where, you know what, they, they can't play a full 90 minutes because they haven't played uh, regular football in, in their club space. So it's it was it's a tough gig uh, at yeah. the end of the day. Um, like I said, I think back in our day, there was more teams, uh, yeah. more opportunities for, for younger players. And unfortunately, look, you know, with... I don't know what the lifespan within the A-League is with uh, head coaches. Uh, Gary, maybe you have a better insight of, of the longevity of an A-League coach at the moment. But, you know, when there's there's pressure for coaches to to win games and, and make top six and win titles, 
then then I, I feel that coaches tend to move away of playing younger players because younger players are, tend to be inconsistent. You know, they might play eight out of ten or a nine out of ten, and the next game they might give you a two out of ten. Whereas uh, an experienced player, if he has if he has an, a good game, he's playing eight or a nine. But if he has a bad game, he's doing a six out of ten, where he's you know the basic fundamentals of winning the ball yeah. and finding your teammates. So, you know, the the risk of 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 playing young players, the coaches don't uh, go down that path because obviously they're under pressure to to win games. Yeah. Uh, so that might play a massive factor of of our talented players not being exposed at a decent level. Yeah. No, no, I I like that. It is, and and perhaps that is one of the. There's not been too many upsides of the last couple of years with COVID, but as a result of that, in looking around the A League, we've seen more young Australian coaches coaching teams. And because they're aware of the young players and budgets have, have come back to the field a bit, there's probably been more young Australian and New Zealand players uh, playing the A-League in the last two seasons than there, there has been the last, you know, six or eight seasons, uh, the number yeah. that have come through right. and had opportunities. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think COVID, obviously, with the restricting budget budgets with, within the clubs, uh, I think has created more opportunities for, for younger players to come through and step up. And, and you see, uh, look, young players are going to make mistakes. You've you got to wear that as a coach. You know that's going to happen. Uh, yeah. And that's why I believe you, you pick your moments of when to use them and how to use them and, and what games you throw them in the deep end and what games you you give them the floaties and you pull them back out next to you so they can sit next beside you and then go again, you know. Because, you know, Gary, football is about confidence. Uh, when you're confident, uh, you do you do certain things uh, within the park, and if you're not confident, you're you're not making that run that you're supposed to make that run because you're worried about uh, tracking back or getting back in time or, or whatever that is. So, yeah. you know, for me, the, the talent is there. Uh, I just believe they need more exposure uh, at at that level, and I, I still believe even they need more exposure at international level. You know, uh, yeah. obviously within restrictions. Uh, when I worked in the twenties and we went to the pre qualifiers in Vietnam. You know, in 12 months, I had one camp leading into that uh, yeah. those qualifiers. So, uh, for me, I believe one camp is not enough uh, yeah. to have success. And for me, the biggest thing is to to get those players uh, exposure that we need at international level, well as well, and and playing in World Cups is, you know, they they we need to qualify for these so they get that exposure. And and the best thing yeah. that happens now with New Zealand is obviously being in Oceania. Uh, still, uh, you know, New Zealand, the 17s and the 20s and the 23s, they always qualify for these uh, the, these big tournaments yeah. and, and play, get exposed to these uh, big tournaments, regardless of whether they come out of the group stage or not, but they, they get that exposure that they need. Yeah. The upside of still being in Oceania. Look, the, that's the upside of it, I think, is qualifying and still, you know, you look at the last 20s group uh, of these Gianni Stensis that, that went away, Libby Kakache, Sarpret Singh, we had Callum McCowart and all these boys that that yeah. were part of that group have, have gone to, you know, good places. Yeah. No, all power to them. Why do you do it, Oof. Why do you coach? I ask myself every day, uh, Gary, why? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look for me. Uh, I love the game. Uh, like I said, the game has given a lot to me in, as in, in, a, in a playing sense. Uh, I don't think I know anything better, to be honest. Uh, I don't know if I didn't have football in my life, what what I would have done. Uh, yes, it has its frustrations and, and its stresses at times, but uh, for me, it's it's a beautiful game. 
Uh, for, for me, football is about relationships. Uh, also, you know, with my staff and my players. Uh, like at the end of the day, it is a game. It is a sport. Uh, you know, it's a game that's, you know, I'm very passionate about, very fiery about. Uh, Want to win. I don't like losing. Uh, I've always been a winner. Uh, and I try to instill that into into my players and and try to help my players achieve also their goals and their dreams of where they want to where they see themselves and and try to push them in that right direction. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's uh, it's a slap against the back of the head, or and sometimes it's a cuddle, Gary. You know what I mean. And everyone's different and and how they take the information. So for me, like I said, it's about relationships and and, and helping those guys and. You know, even the last season, you know, Libby Kakache coming back and giving me a hug uh, at the ground when when I see him again, and and hopefully I've, you know, I didn't I didn't develop him. I was there for for one for one or two seasons with him, but uh, you know, I didn't develop him. But if I've if I've had an impact or influenced uh, a, a little bit, that's helped him get get to where he wants to get to. For me, uh, that's that's a massive bonus and a positive. Yeah, all power to you, mate. So. On your on your journey thus far, what have been some of your most enjoyable moments? Uh, winning games is the most enjoyable part. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think learning about myself uh, a little bit more has been the most enjoyable part. Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a fiery, uh, feisty uh, person. Uh, sometimes you might see that on the sideline. I have awareness of that, uh, and don't get me wrong, it's not that uh, I go all uh, red, red eyes and uh, go crazy, but I, I'm aware of it, and and I sometimes try to control it the best I can. But sometimes the passion kicks in as well uh, with that. But uh, I think it's more so learning about myself and my character as well, and. And sometimes in uh, when I think you learn more about yourself when things are not going well than when they actually are going well. And yeah. I think those first four games or five games at Wellington Phoenix uh, was a great eye-opener. Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's not an easy gig uh, to actually do, uh, actually be a coach as well. Yeah. If you, I think you lost four in a row, your first four games. I think we lost our first four or five or maybe the, the sixth one we drew and then we won our seventh game. Uh, but the one thing I've learned and, and with the coaches that I work with and, and Angie's a, a big one in that is staying strong in your beliefs and staying strong in, in your processes and uh, I believe uh, it's easy to to waver and move away from things when you go well, well it's not working uh, but I think if you're strong as a coach and you believe that this is the best way of getting the results that we need to get I think that's what helped us and not wavering away from it and not uh, shying away and saying this is not working we need to change things and keep implementing the same thing, and 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 you know we saw the fruits of it towards the back end of the season. Oh, you did. I, I mean, it ended up being a fantastic season. I think you finished third, which is the highest that Phoenix finished in the finals there. And when when you when you're going through that, the challenge personally is is interesting. Uh, it certainly was for me. I, I I went through it a couple of times, but you do. You, is there self doubt? Is there what sort of things going through your head as you? There's another one. One game becomes two, and two games become three. What What are some of the things that go through your head, and you know that you've got to shake yourself out of it and focus on on what you're doing for a better outcome? Yeah, look for me the the games that first season that we lost uh, performance wise, we 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 still played some some good football without getting the outcome that we wanted. So that was a good positive sign for me that. We were headed in the yeah. right direction. Uh, 
also, you know, you also, for me, the biggest thing as a coach was regardless that we lost the first or five games was continue to take the pressure off the players and, and put it on me uh, and, and, and take the focus of the results uh, for each game that we played away from the players and rather than keep them on the performance, like I said earlier. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I was even asked about uh, do I feel any pressure? And, you know, for me, I, I, I said to as a response, I said pressure is what you put on yourself. Uh, you know, your own expectations of what you want to achieve in, in your life. So there is no pressure at the end of the day. Uh, and for me, like yeah. I said, the biggest thing was to take that pressure away from the players so they can still go out there and do their job and still focus on the positives. Even though we lost those games, we'd always do the reviews and go through what we did well. Uh, and, and if there was uh, errors within the game that we needed to fix as a group or individually, we'd always do that separate from uh, the players. As you know, Gary, with the players, they have pride and they have an ego and they have a status within the group. And, and if you show negatives within the group, it, it, they, they actually don't take the information on board because they're probably most likely thinking about what's my teammate thinking about me now because I, I made a mistake, uh, you know, at this part of the game or whatever it was. So if there was individual stuff we needed to, to fix, we did it with actually individuals. We spent a lot of video time trying to correct uh, individuals within their game as well. And mindful, obviously, you know, their status in the group uh, doesn't get hurt as, as players are. Yeah. So for me, there's there was there was a lot of a lot of sleepless nights uh, those first four, four weeks as well, uh, trying to find solutions on how to make it better. But like for me, the biggest thing was uh, believing in the process and sticking to our guns, and, and and continuing on that journey that we believed was the right way of doing things. Yeah. All power to you, brother. Um, what are some of the valuable lessons you've learned on your journey so far? Uh, like I said, I think the biggest uh, ones that I've learned, obviously, like I said, more about myself, uh, more about my character, uh, times where I would probably have shined in, in a bad way where I've actually stepped back and, and said, okay, I need to let this moment go uh, because there's, bigger, there's a bigger picture to this. Uh, also, I think uh, the biggest thing was, you know, I brought Chiefy with me when I went across and I inherited staff as well. So yeah. it was also not just, uh, you know, teaching the players uh, what we wanted to do. It was also getting the staff on board of how I like to work and how I like things done as well, which was a process as well because things don't happen uh, overnight. And, look, I was very fortunate enough to work with uh, a board that uh, understands uh, understand the game and understand what coaching is like and understanding that starting from scratch with a new squad will take time to, to get yeah. to a point. And, and they were very uh, supporting in that sense because, you know, in Europe, uh, Gary, you lose four games in a row. You're very lucky to survive in that seat. So, so and like I said, the, the performance has helped without the results. But uh, uh, I've been very fortunate that uh, they they believed in me. They believed in the process uh, to, to, to kick off my career. Otherwise, it could have been a very short career at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, no, and uh, all, all they look. The, the wisdom shone through. I think to to bring someone in with seven players and expect that they're going to win the first four games would be, whilst everyone's hoping for that, I think that's a maybe. Well, it is possible, Gary. It is possible. <laughs> I had I had I had three coaches in one season. Like we we I went to a club and they signed twenty players. They it was a second division club before I came back to Australia, and they wanted to get promoted to the top uh, the top division. Uh, spent a lot of money. Uh, we we won our first game, drew our second, lost lost two after that, and the the gaffer was gone. 
then we had another gaffer come till Christmas, then he was gone, and then we had another coach uh, till the end of the season. So it is uh, it is very dangerous uh, being a coach, especially, um, especially in Turkey, because a lot of things are based on emotion. Uh, yeah. You know, when you win, you're the best. When you lose, you're the worst. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's part of the game, unfortunately, and we're in the public eye, and there's a lot of opinion about the game. That's why standard coaching contracts are an important important part of the Football Coaches <laughs> of Australia agenda. We all, we all understand that that might happen, but at least look after the people uh, you're given a contract to. So, <laughs> so Ulf, we're on the downhill run here. A couple of questions to go. What, what does success look like for you? Uh, look, success, uh, obviously, within football is always nice with a, with a trophy at the end of it. Uh, uh, but for me also, like I, I, like I touched on earlier, success is the relationships that you, you form uh, with the people that you work with uh, and also, uh, you know, them, them reaching their goals within, within the same time as you trying to reach your goals. And, and for me, if I can help people get to where they want to get to and at the same time have the success of trying to win trophies within a club, uh, I think is, is one way of, uh, of, of uh, looking, at, uh, looking at the game. And, and look, also for me, we try to try to change things and try to implement things within the club. Uh, I try to, at Wellington Phoenix, uh, create a group that was not the underdog. I hate the underdog tag uh, within within the game because it's 11 v 11, Gary, at the end of the day. Uh, they play football, we play football. Sometimes they win, sometimes they, uh, they we win the game. Uh, but, you know, we it's our job. Uh, we get paid to try to get results and try to implement... Uh, Get rid of that underdog uh, underdog tag and play play a certain brand of football. Uh, and I think I think we've changed it. I think we've changed the perspective of how teams actually look at Wellington Phoenix now. Uh, sometimes, if you have a look at the, the way that teams set up against uh, Wellington Phoenix now, they show us a lot more respect. You know, a lot more compact, a lot more disciplined, and and try to uh, you know nullify yeah. us in the spaces that we want to play. So I think we've I've tried to change the mindset within within the club and also within the group. Yeah. No, I like that, mate. And look, one of the things that you can guarantee is that you you're always a good team to watch play football. You know, it, some 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 teams it seems there's they're trying to play good football other weeks, and then against some opposition they just can't play it. But you consistently play attractive football, which I guess is based on your philosophy and and what you're trying to do there. So all power to you. Keep keep it up. All right, mate. The toughest question of all. We saved this one to the last. No, it's not really. If you had one piece of wisdom that you could offer coaches, whether they're at the beginning of their journey, in the middle, or, or coming towards the end of it, if there was one piece of coaching wisdom you could offer to other coaches, what would that be? I think the question that you asked me, why? Why do you want to be a coach? <laughs> no, for me, for me as, as a coach, uh, be, for me as a coach, and, and, and I've seen it with the people that I work with, and I've seen it, with the ones that have had success in the game, uh, and and for me, like I said, Ange is the big one. Is is being strong in your beliefs. Uh, you know, being there. I I don't compromise on on the playing style uh, and, and the philosophy and, and the principles of the way we want to play. Whether we are winning the game five nil or we are losing the game five nil, we might tweak a few things, but I never compromise on my beliefs uh, on the way the game should be played. Uh, that's one thing I would say to young coaches coming through when things aren't going your way. It's easy to scrap 
scrap it and throw it in the bin and start again. But I think that causes more problems and more issues because then the players see that you don't believe in what you've been saying till now and all of a sudden we're changing it again. So that belief goes from everybody. So I think as a as a young startup coach, stay strong to your beliefs, stay strong to your principles. And and it, I think if the processes are right and you're doing the right things, and obviously recruitment is very important in football. I think 70% comes down to recruitment, uh, finding the right players that can play the way you want to play. And the 30% obviously is a tactical, technical condition, all that type of stuff. But if you, if you like I said, if you're strong in your beliefs, I, I think you, you're heading the right direction. I think that's a wonderful place to leave today's conversation. Many thanks, Ufuk Tale, manager thanks. of Wellington Phoenix. Mate, I know you've got a few games to go in this season. It's very, very diverse. Some teams have played 22 games. Some teams have played 17 or 18. It's just, just crazy. So you've got a little way to go, but, but we wish you well, mate, through to the end of the season and hopefully see you in the finals. Cheers, Gary. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, mate. Great to have you on board. You've been listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. Um, If you've enjoyed today's podcast, go to footballcoachesoz.org.au. Check out, you might buy a membership, renew a membership, check out our resources online. And as well as listening to the podcast on your favourite channels, you you can now watch You can now watch this on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search Football Coaches Australia, you'll be able to see uh, Orphia and myself chat about this as well as talk about it. So you have a great day.